Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So, Kate, what is astonishing you this week? Uh, well, we in Charlotte um, got a little bit of snow, which and is always shut down the city, <laughs> which is always astonishing, kind of how people react to that. But um, what is interesting is that um, the school district, the public school district did something different this time. Um, the city really did get different amounts of snow in South Charlotte. There's barely anything in North Charlotte. There's not very much, but there is some snow on the ground and ice. And so instead of shutting the entire district for the second day, they just shut um, the schools in the northern part of the county, which is where I live. Mm. Um, so my kids are out of school today and other kids are in school. And I'm that is fine. I don't I don't have any issue with that. Um, as difficult as it is for us to decide whether to open or close our churches mm. in snowy weather, I have nothing but sympathy for um, the superintendent who has to make that call. Anyway, but what is interesting is when I went online last night and was kind of checking to see if my kid's school was one of the closed schools, I was reading the comments, which, of course, no sane person ever, ever, ever reads the comments about anything. And I was just astonished at the comments from parents who were mostly applauding this decision. Um, but the rhetoric surrounding it was, oh, thank goodness, you finally somebody smart. This district is too big. It should be split up anyway. And in, in, in our area, there's just a lot of conversation about public schools, as in many places. There's a huge move to charter schools, as in many places around the country. Um, but what astonishes me is just the way people express contempt and disgust for certain groups of people. Mm. Um, and I mean, the reality is for children who have higher needs, yeah. for children who come from low-income families, mm. and that people just unabashedly say, I don't want my kids going to school with kids like them. Wow. Um, and they'll really say it's not a racial thing and, you know, it's a resource, whatever. But And they'll cloak it in like, I, I want my home school, I want my home district. But I mean, the reality is the school districts are more gerrymandered than the voting districts and that's saying something. And so I just, what astonishes me as a pastor <laughs> is that we live in this part of the country that in a lot of ways is still Christendom, right? Like there are so many churches mm. down here. I mean, Charlotte has um, more storage units and churches per capita than any city in the country. I just made up that stat, but not really. Oh, but, I was going to say, I can believe that. Well, you can believe it just driving around. And I do think it's such an interesting picture of the spirituality of our community, right? Mm. Like we need a bunch of space for our stuff that... We need to hold on to no matter what. And all of these individual churches. And I, I I, credit, you know, the sincerity and authenticity of those faith communities. But it just astonishes me how we can be in a community on Sunday morning and worshiping this gospel that clearly says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then leave the sanctuary and publicly proclaim, you know, if my neighbor's kids have to go to a crappy school, I don't care as long as I get to keep my resources, my property taxes to have schools for my kids that my kid deserves. And I just, mm. I, I understand the human condition and I understand fearing for your kid and wanting the best for your kid. I mean, that's not spiritually healthy, but I understand that we all operate out of that sometimes. I guess I'm just astonished that people don't even hide it. Like, I'm just astonished that people would publicly proclaim yeah. this, this district is too big and I want my kid 
to go to school with kids like me and and not. And I just am discouraged by that. I'm discouraged that we are, are full, you know, that we have all these churches that would think nothing of raising tons of money to send their children on mm-hmm. a mission trip, mm-hmm. you know, to some other part of the world to, mm-hmm. to serve, but but don't see the connection between saying, hey, let's make sure that all all of our schools are good and that we're one community and that if my neighbor's kid has a terrible public education, I mean, A, it's not the ethic of Jesus and B, it's bad for my kid. So right. anyway, I yeah. just, and I just was astonished that, you know, in having a conversation about a snow day, it just quickly evolved online to a conversation of us and them and, you know, they're taking my stuff. And I, anyway, it just made me astonished in a not happy way. Um, <laughs> So, well, let's, 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 if we could talk about that just a little more, I'm curious as to what you think the church ought to do about it. Cause I think you're exactly right. Um, as someone who is an ethnic minority, I'm glad that there are people in the majority <laughs> like you who, who see and think about these things, but I'm wondering what you think the church ought to do about it. Well, I mean, I just think we have to point it out and we have to point yeah. it out even when it means calling out members of our own community. And like, obviously I, you know, I don't know, I don't know who in my church holds these opinions, but probably some people, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you know, it's just hard because, um, I mean, this connects to what I've been preaching and thinking about, but, you know, we, we all have this idea that we you know, this not I, Lord, like I've got my stuff together. And and the reality is we all fail to live out the gospel ethic, but in our church communities, it's considered like the height of impoliteness Mm. to, to point that out to anybody or even to say something that would make someone realize that about themselves. And I think as preachers, sometimes, you know, we have to say, um, Hey, this neighboring thing sounds great to preach about abstractly on a Sunday morning, but let's, Lock, look at some of the places where it's real yeah. when it comes to affordable housing, when it comes to sidewalks and neighborhoods, when it comes to what your child experiences at school and what other children experience at school. Like this is all, um, mm. this is what it, what it counts. I mean, if you abstractly believe it, but aren't concretely interested in living it, um, that's a problem. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know, I, but I just, I'm just sad. I'm mainly just, can't people wear a mask, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sort of scared that it's it's not even socially. There's not even any social pressure to appear to care about your neighbor's yeah. kids. I mean, wow. the larger culture is teaching all of us that advocating for me and mine, no matter the cost, is the American way. And I suppose, to, I mean, to your question, the church really isn't pushing back against that to say, you know, give me what's best for my kids at all costs might be an appropriate position for a citizen mm. of America, but not for a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and we have to continually name that and then let people live it out however they want to. But at least we need to name that. Yeah. Church. And I would just add name and call people to repentance because it is a matter of both seeing it and saying, oh, this way that we are walking is not the way of Jesus. And there needs to be some turning. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I do think you're right. You know, there is this impulse to want to protect your children, and I get that. And um, But, yeah, I, I appreciate your noticing that. Well, and, it, 
I mean, just because we're afraid for our kids, I mean, we need to look at that. Because if we can get to why are you doing this? Because you don't really hate your neighbor. Right. So why does this feel necessary to yeah. you? Yeah. And then I think people, most people will say, well, I'm afraid. I can't mm-hmm. put my kids at risk. Mm-hmm. And then just to say a spiritual leader is like, okay, yeah. and fear is a human condition. Yeah. And, and it's not even a sin, <sighs> but it's not something well, that we can walk in. It will lead us to, to sin, I think. Yeah, well, we the walk scripture says fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, Mm -hmm. right? We're not thinking well about these issues. We're not walking in love around these issues. We're just walking in fear. Well, and I think maybe to help people point out that you have a set of values and then you also have this pressure of fear. And often fear leads you to make choices that are out of line with your oh, own that's values. Good. That's and good. so to be aware that's of that good. and to say, like, am yeah. I, you know, and then to pray for grace, right? Like, yeah. God, give me the grace to make choices based on my values, not based on my fear. And this is a place where I really think that believers can be salt and light because I think there are a lot of people who feel these same instincts, but they look around and say, well, no one else is saying this. Yes. So I must be crazy. Yes. And, and so, if I don't go with this, then my kid will be the one at a disadvantage. And I don't right. want that. So I just go along with the majority flow of fear. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think we, we just, if we're making decisions out of fear, um, that needs to be a huge red flag for us yeah. as believers. And for us as pastors, I think we need to be naming that enough and teaching people in our congregations and, of course, ourselves, you know, how often when you come to a fork in the road, are you even aware of yeah. wh- what's motivating you to make those choices? And so creating a culture in our local church where we ask that question and encourage people. Anyway, so that's what's astonishing. That's me. good stuff. Making me sad. <laughs> what is astonishing you? Well, uh, um, actually, I'm astonished by how hopeful I feel in <laughs> this season. Just That's the, so liturgically <laughs> correct. Sorry. Um, even in this uh, political moment that we're in, uh, even in the difficulties of pastoring a small church, I'm surprised that I feel hopeful and. I think it comes out of an event I I was a part of last Saturday. There's a local funeral home, and once a year, they gather people around Christmas time, all the people that they've served uh, the previous year, they gather them for this service, they sing Christmas carols, they read uh, texts around uh, uh, the Christmas story, and um, they invite someone like me to speak, but they want it to be both talking about Christmas, this season, this wonderful season, and helping them to deal with grief. And I've never done anything like that before. And it was a struggle to, you know, put something together. But it was, it was an amazing experience. And I talked to one mom uh, after the, the worship experience. Her son, who was probably my age or younger, died just a couple of months ago. And so her grief is real fresh mm-hmm. but she was so so hopeful not not in a sentimental uh dismiss my grief kind of way but just this rock solid trust that even though i don't understand even though i'm in a tremendous amount of pain there's this trust in jesus and and following that service i just felt a surge of my own hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm just aware right now that that I believe not because 
I'm things so smart and I, yeah, yeah, things are working out or I'm so smart. I figured out this God stuff, this Christianity mm-hmm. stuff that over some decades, um, the word of God and the spirit of God have wooed me into this mm-hmm. relationship. And I just, I just believe, I just trust that things are going to end well. I think it's interesting that sometimes we can have our most profound spiritual experiences. And and for me, sometimes most profound awareness of the presence and goodness of God, not in moments of celebration, but in moments of deep despair and tragedy. And I, every time I do, I mean, I love, it sounds so strange to say it, but I love preaching funerals Mm. because I I am always um, astonished at what happens when you have enough courage to bring the gospel into a space without explaining away what happened, without yeah. saying it was okay, mm. without saying it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but saying even in the face of this real loss and pain and tragedy, there's there is hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I and I I think that's so interesting. And as a preacher, sometimes I, I mean the human part of me really, you know, you have to take a deep breath every time you walk into a hospital room or every time you go yeah. to a family because you just feel like you know, will, will the Lord have something to say to mm-hmm, these people? Mm-hmm. And it, it's incredible how not me, not you, yeah, like not, but just yeah. the gospel that we carry really is alive and is a revelation of the one who is alive, right. who has something yeah. to say in those moments. And yeah. it's funny that we, I mean, I think we and the human tendency is to run away and to build our faith mm. communities around celebration and mm-hmm. victory and accumulation. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, I mean, there is that in the Lord, obviously, um, but that sometimes where we really experience the depth of God's goodness is in pain. Yeah, I think it's it's the pain, the hardship, the trial that forces us to be honest about what we really believe. Well, and I sort of feel like the church community, the community of Christ, is really the only place when mm. we are healthy where people can bring their unfinished grief and yeah. we will listen. Because yeah. I feel like the culture is just like, oh, get, get thee to a grief group, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. get out of my <laughs> yeah. space. Yeah. I don't want to be around you in pain. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sometimes, unfortunately, the church is like that too. But mm-hmm. when we can show up in the funeral moment, or or in a grieving moment and say, your grief is real and yeah. so is the hope we have in Jesus. And I can't explain it. I can only proclaim it and then trust that the Spirit is going to come in and Absolutely. Back, yeah. back that up. So that's really And I cool. think it's one of the, the privileges of this preaching life that we're in. You know, in the, in the midst of proclaiming hope, mm-hmm. I got the hope. So right. I, you know, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, oh, I'm not just up here a talking head, right, doing this mm-hmm. event because I'm asked to do it. But I really do believe these things that right. I'm telling you. Right, right. Um, And so that's just given me a um, a good amount of energy uh, since uh, last week. Um, yeah, I'm astonished by my own belief. And as two people who didn't grow up in church mm-hmm. culture, you know, you look back on life, it's like, wow, I did not get myself to this place. Yeah. Yeah, and it is an amazing thing. And I do feel like, you know, sometimes when I'm in worshiping experiences around a moment like this and the person up front is just preaching theology or preaching Mm. doctrine, and Mm. I am like, this doesn't, 
for me, mm. it doesn't comfort me, but that when I'm in the presence of someone who has a hope that didn't come from them, right? Yeah. That that is what really gives you courage and, and hope that maybe you can be there as well. So I, I the other day I was walking into a hospital room and I was talking to somebody on my way there and they were saying like, well, I know you'll have all the right words. You always do. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I mean, wow. that's wow. not true. Wow. I mean, I feel yeah. like I never have the right words. Yeah. I never, I'm always fumbling through and sounding like an idiot. But what my experience is that something happens in that space between what leaves my mouth and mm. what people experience mm. that what they're experiencing is not me, Yeah, but it's, it's the Holy spirit yeah. in that room, maybe because I've been willing to put myself in an awkward space where I'm not enough and never will be enough. Or maybe because my presence in the room makes people because of what I represent mm, makes people mm, open mm. to hearing or noticing things. I don't yeah, know what it is, yeah. but it's a supernatural reality that's well beyond CPE discourse yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right, right. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with learning how to, mm-hmm. you know, accompany people well in hard spaces, but also if it were just that, I would stay away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that there really is a supernatural grace that attends our work and uses it. I'm I'm just astonished by that, right? And what are you thinking? What am I thinking? Um, What am I thinking? Oh, I'm thinking about um, (laughs) (laughs) brain shut down for a second. Um, I'm thinking about how to connect with people in our neighborhood who are not in our church or anybody else's church. And as I was sharing with you while we were walking, you know, we've been doing these community meals for the past few months. Idea we mm-hmm. got from uh, The Grove, your church. And uh, last Thursday night, we had more people from the neighborhood mm-hmm. than volunteers from our church. And it was really wonderful. And I was at a table with several young adults and the conversation was so good and rich. And um, they're, they're not in anybody's church. But I just like them and want to uh, hang out with them. And um, if I were not a pastor and just a person in the neighborhood, I would want to be their friend. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for a way to connect with them, knowing that I represent something. When I walk into the room, there's a role, there's there's an institution that I represent Mm -hmm. for them. And so I I don't want to um, have them... Uh, uh, tune me out just because I represent uh, an institution. But at the same time, I want to reject the impulse to try to be the skinny jean wearing flannel shirt, having a beard, you know, look so good with ta- the beard. tattooed <laughs> pastor, right? Uh, so I, I want to, I need to be myself, but at the same time, I'm just so eager to relate to, connect with these folks that are, I would categorize, um, spiritual, but not religious. I think it's interesting that you say that just after the conversation we just had. Last I mean, week. because you're trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And I sort of feel, well, not last week. I mean, just now when we were talking about mm. what astonishes us. Like you're trying to figure this out and, you know, create a program and what's that going to look like. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with thinking that way. But I also just feel like, I mean, these people came because they want community, which I think is interesting in and of itself. Absolutely. As we, are in Advent and celebrating the incarnation Mm -hmm. and, you know, talking about walking into spaces where we're unprepared and what we have Mm. is inadequate. I mean, I wonder if that's kind of part of the thing is to say, you know what, you don't have, you don't know what Mm. God has in store for those folks or for your church or for your role. But I think, 
you know, probably what we need to get more comfortable doing is showing up in spaces mm. without a plan. That's good. <laughs> um, and, and without an agenda, but just feeling drawn, feeling drawn there and being open to whatever the spirit might give us. But also, I mean, yeah, yeah I just think you need to keep showing up. We were just talking about the supernatural grace that attends what we do when mm-hmm. people are in situations of hardship. Well, it's the same grace in mm-hmm. just walking with people. Well, and in both places, people are inviting you in, right? Like, yeah, I'm always astonished yeah. that people will invite me in yeah. to these really incredibly vulnerable, tender, holy moments of tragedy. And yeah. and I'm so eager to come in, even yeah. as unprepared as I feel. But I think also just when people invite you into the ordinary of their lives, mm. even if they don't know why they're inviting you in, I mean, still, it's an invitation. Yeah. And figuring out how to show up there saying, Lord... I, I'm not trying to dazzle anybody with my personality right. or with my grand plan for <laughs> whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I'm showing up, trusting that you're going to show me how to be a witness to the light. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't in last week's sermon talking about, you know, John was called not to be the light, but to be a witness to the light. And so mm. what does that look like for us to recognize I'm not anybody's savior. I'm mm. not here to fix anything for anybody. Mm. Um, I'm here to be a witness to something and and looking for opportunities to be authentic in that. Right. Um, so that is really, that's interesting. So what are you thinking about? Uh, well, I am thinking about, um, so last week when I was studying, um, the part of the prologue, I, I ended up not using something in my study that I thought was really interesting because I was responding to what you said about mainly making my sermon be a story, um, that I wasn't really loving to share, but anyway, I, but I followed you and I did that and it was good, but I'm still thinking about this thing that I uncovered in my commentary work about how in the gospel of John, he never uses the word faith. He only uses the word believe. Believe. Like we're not called to faith. We're called to believe in the name. And I just was thinking about how, Like believing is a verb Mm. and faith is a noun. Mm. And I was thinking about how interesting it is in sort of American Christian culture that we talk so much about faith and how like having God as a noun, like something that we possess, Mm -hmm. which means Mm -hmm. we are kind of dominant over it Mm -hmm. and we control it. And it's like a a thing, right? That has limits in some way, doctrine, whatever. And you either have it or you don't have it. But once you have it, it's yours forever. Hallelujah. Amen. But then, and you can use it <laughs> or not. You yeah. set it down, pick it up, whatever. Um, but being called to believe is being mm. called to a verb, right? It's mm. being called to a continual posture, and yeah. it's an ongoing activity. And I think that that's such an interesting way to kind of run the lens of participating. Well, I was going to say in the church, but obviously it's bigger than that. Yeah, you know, to your relationship with God. You know, and I was just playing around thinking a lot about how sometimes um, we want to say like, yeah, there was a time when I didn't have faith and now I do have faith. Mm. And so I've I've got what I need and thank you very much. And Mm -hmm. I'll apply my faith when and where I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're called to belief, then any moment that you're not in a position of believing in the name of Jesus, then you're, you know, you're not. You either are. And so I just was thinking about how vulnerable it makes us when we say that Jesus came so that we could believe, which is something that we'll do every moment of our lives or not, as opposed to Jesus 
came so that we can have faith and then we take it and we put it in our back pocket mm. and we use it or not as we see fit and like who's in control yeah. and who has power and this but believing puts you in a position of of weakness and vulnerability and not that you're going to use your faith but that you're in a place where God can use you so I, I just am thinking about that and how much sometimes I want to move from an active relational um, posture towards God to a sort of more passive, mm. you know, I control God and I have enough faith today. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. Need anymore, well, so. I, I love substituting the word trust for faith and belief. Am, am I trusting? Mm-hmm. Um, again, for me, that speaks to the being vulnerable. Well, and just like where we started, like if I have faith, then I, I can sort of have this noun and I know love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if I'm believing God, then when I'm in a situation where I have a choice to look out for my neighbor's good or not, mm. I'm either believing God and doing that, or I'm not believing not. God and not doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So like the head knowledge of what the scripture says mm-hmm. is not the thing that I'm called to, to have the knowledge about it. I'm called yeah. to believe it, which yeah. means to walk in it, yeah. which just requires a lot more of me and gives me a place of perpetual choice mm. and a place where I recognize I don't always have the grace to believe the Lord and follow. And so I, A, I need perpetual repentance and forgiveness. Yeah. And B, I'm, I'm crying out for grace, not someday when I die and there's a big tally of my yeah. <laughs> sins and, and virtues, but every day to give me the grace to believe mm. this and walk in it as opposed to sort of know it and apply it where I I believe, it. help my unbelief. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so. And what um, what are you preaching about, friend? Well, because of the snow and our great fear of snow here in Charlotte, we did not gather for worship on Sunday. And so uh, we're going to keep the schedule and preach John 1, 4, and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of all humanity, and the light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. And I'm still sticking with the question, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to give us life because we're spiritually dead, and he came to give us light because we're blind. We're blind to um, um, spiritual reality and our own... um, anthropology, right? We're just blind. And so um, that's, that's, we're just going to keep it really simple. Well, I am not preaching this week because um, I did not cancel church last week. It's been taking me this long. <laughs> you guys to be able to are say. of heartier stock. Yeah, it was probably a mistake. The roads are really bad. I really was driving to the church thinking, oh, okay, I might have really, I might have really made the wrong call. But um, we had a great worship service and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm grateful that people in my church used wisdom to mm. not leave their homes if they couldn't get there safely. Um, but uh, we're having a Christmas cantata this week, so the preaching moment is all song, mm. which I love um, as much as I love preaching, especially in you know when we're preparing for receiving the birth and coming of the Lord and looking at the story of Jesus' birth and recognizing how much singing there mm. is in mm-hmm. that, you know, Zachariah's song and Mary's mm, right. song and all of the angels. I think it's so interesting um, that it's all there. And so it seems really right and fitting that there would be a point where just the glory is so much that it moves us past sort of rational speech to song. Yeah. And it's cool because all kinds of people come out of the congregation um, 
to be a part of oh, that's good. creating yeah. that music. Yeah. So um, it really it speaks to me on a way that is kind of hard to explain, but it does seem right that one Sunday a year we move past words into song, and so that is what we're doing this week. Excellent. Yeah, so that's it. We'll see you next week, friends. All right, very good.